running with an artist. She's renowned for her feminist work. She's also an activist from Cape Town. She graduated with a degree in history of art and Dutch literature from UCT, my alma mater. And since then, she has created a series of works which focus on identity. And she also has a very powerful use of social media as well. Who is she? Her name is Lady Scully. That's the name she goes under. And she has just given us her first track of song, Burner Boy, and yeah, fabulous song, Burner Boy, of course, hailing from Nigeria. Lady Scully, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and hi to the listeners. So, you know, yesterday on Twitter, I saw a picture of you flying high, which <laughs> I was trying to figure <laughs> out, is she, is she in a paraglider? Is she in one of those little um, micro lights that go shooting around? Where is she and what joy was she having? No, I was just in Cape Town and I've actually never, you know, one of the things when you're a tourist in your own city or when you haven't lived in the place where you're from for a while, you end up doing all of these touristy things that you never did when you lived there. And so yesterday I just went on paragliding. It was amazing. It's kind (laughs) of scary when it's just you and like, you're sitting in between another man's legs and you're just exactly. kind of coming down the mountain. Yeah. And he kind of asks you the whole time, do you like uh, roller coasters? And he twirls <laughs> you around. So now, this was me yesterday. It was lovely. It is the most wonderful experience. And if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to uh, raise your surname, Laura Windvogel, as your first, uh, as your, yeah. your, your, your born name. Um, yeah, sure. And, and the reason I raise it is because Windvogel, of course, means um, wind bird in Dutch. I yeah, mean, it means kite, actually. It means German. kite. Like an old German word for kite. Whoever enslaved us back then, I don't know. Maybe they came here by paragliding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, of course, about paragliding, I mean, you've mentioned, I mean, that whole thing of like, there's guys like you, you're sitting between his legs in this little harness and you yeah. shoot, shoot around, but you have this moment of being, it, I mean, there's fear. Obviously, there's fear. And I mean, I know I had plenty of fear even when I was um, uh, uh, parachuting as well. But yeah. the, the, you have fear, but you also have these unbelievable moments where you go, now I understand why a bird yeah. might just fly for fun. I mean, to me, it's so weird. I'm not someone who's ever wanted to drive in my entire life. So even driving to me has a sense of that kind of thing of anything can happen. So I guess, yeah, yesterday I was just like, if there's going to be another variant or whatever, let me just jump down this thing and (laughs) see where it goes. But no, it was lovely. And um, yeah, I guess it's a thing of release. It's quite fun. So Lady Scully, we've been talking throughout the show about the use of language and how language can frame something so powerfully. I mean, you know, you talk about a windfogel and the fact that it means kite yeah. and where it comes from in terms of your own history. Um, yeah. You choosing to use the word of Scully, Lady and Scully. I mean, it's it's almost like uh, in contradiction to one another purportedly. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about those kinds of decisions that you've made. I mean, once I interviewed you yeah. and you spoke about the description of yourself as a busman. So you said, no, I am not, um, I am not coy, I am not son, I am a busman. And you choosing to, to own words, which yeah. ca- can be very difficult and very problematic. Talk to us about I mean, that. I've, I've even chatted about it before, but the word in itself, scholarly, is something that 
is used to really set a parameter of where a certain type of person who looks a certain type of way is allowed to go and allowed to be. Mm. Um, and who is a scholar, you know, who who is a threat, really, in the society. So I think often words um, were used to make us understand that we belonged in certain places and we didn't belong in other places. And using those words, whether amongst ourselves or whether other people use it against us, um, it's still a reflection on how language can be used to control people and control where certain types of people go um, and who is allowed. Like, I think in the I was at the slave lodge for a meeting a few days ago, and it was interesting for me because I saw a quote um, that said, in a place like Cape Town, who is allowed to be, and more importantly, who is allowed to be an actual person or be treated like an actual person? Mm. So the N-word, the K-word... The scholarly word, the word of feeling like a little thug somewhere or just being portrayed as something is definitely a, a thing I potentially always want to play with and always want to have attention with because um, language is very important in a place like South Africa. We have 11 official languages, but overall it's quite a monolithic society. You know, we mm. kind of all stick to English. Um, and then we have this very weird situation where Afrikaans is seen to be uh, a language of the oppressor or a language of a white language. And in actuality, it's a language that was pretty much created with the intent to be able to communicate with each other easier than something like Dutch. Yeah. Um, and they used to call it kitchen Dutch. So I think it's funny when language also even goes through PR to change its origins or to change what it means to certain people. Um, and South Africa is a shining example of how language is used to uh, uh, park people in and put people in certain parameters. You know, it's interesting that you do talk about that um, with the regards to the parameters. So earlier on in mm. the show, we were talking about the terminology of, um, so for example, uh, if you have uh, multiple sexual partners, it's, yeah. o- it's often described as um, what's your body count. Okay. Yes, yes. Or if you um we've we've discussed we were talking about the the terminology of smashed when a man says to another man, Oh, did you smash her? Yeah, um, I know I've I've been following all of these things. Even that thing of um body count, what's so interesting about body count is that body count originally is either used to talk about a serial killer, like how mm-hmm. many people they've killed, or body count as in how many people you've murdered or, or hurt or you know or how many people died in a specific sad situation. So I think even to put those languages with things that is sexual is such a a specific way of going about it and a very asprous way of going about it. Um, And it's always always in in the parameters of men doing things to women as as if we are not participating people within... Uh, sexual things it's just it's something that happens to us and not with us or along with us yeah so yeah it's just language is interesting to me I loved you know contrary to popular belief I didn't study I started studying fine art but I finished in languages and since I was a child my mother was Afrikaans teacher so I always just had a love of language and a deep understanding of how speaking and how the way you perceive certain things can actually um, harm the way you respect certain people or Absolutely. certain places or things. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we, we have to be more aware of, of how we speak and the things we say.
Yeah, I think that that's yeah. absolutely true. Um, yeah, and then obviously the scholarly thing is just my mother was always just someone who was very lani. I always saw her as <laughs> someone who was very lani. No matter what situation she was in, and we used to call her the ghetto snob, you know. <laughs> she would always be so specific about everything. And, um, good for and her. I think the lady yeah. and the scholarly together, yeah. it just, it's kind of an ode to her, but it's also an ode to the language um, situation. Yeah. We're talking to the artist Lady Scully. She is uh, more than an artist. As you can hear, we're talking about (laughs) language and activism flying like a bird. Um, So much more. When we come back from the break, uh, we'll check. Shell Constant on SAFM. The day we've all been waiting for has arrived. Twelve family duos are battling it out in song and we'll be crowning our number one family duo that sang themselves into our heart had us cheering them on and rooting for them to win. You can join us on the two-hour season final spectacle, finale spectacle, this Sunday, the 5th of December, at half past six on SABC2, where one family duo will be crowned Stand Up South African champion. Stand Up South Africa is an association with Radio 2000 and SABC2. You belong. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. We're chatting to Lady Scully, the artist. Uh, we're talking about language as well. Laura, one of the things uh, that interested me when I was reading up on your history was this idea that you studied Dutch literature. And that's a very specific decision to make around a very specific history, which is exactly <laughs> what you've done. Talk to us about that moment where you said, this is where I'm going. I always believe that if you are trying to understand something or... Even if you're against something, you should be able to understand that thing fully. And I mm. think um, I grew up in a very staunch kind of Afrikaner school. Um, and I loved Afrikaans, you know, through my mother. And it always interested me um, the way people would use Afrikaans against other people, you know. Yes. Even yesterday I was walking um, with my husband. And I think people often think in Cape Town because of the way I dress that I'm foreign. I know that sounds weird. Mm. And in Afrikaans, he said some crazy thing in um, in Afrikaans. And I said, Urerach. I said, what's <laughs> do? And then they just turned and they were like, oh my gosh, you know. So I think yeah. also, um, I always like to toy with that kind of thing. It's like, what is someone who's Afrikaans to you? What does that person look like? What does the Tosa person look like to you? Or what do you imagine them to look like, you know? Yeah. I think that's why as South Africans, we'll see um, someone who's white speak like two lions in Zulu and we'll be like, give them their land, you know, mm. because it's this this crazy thing where you know that there's 11 languages, you know that apparently we're supposed to be, you know, this very tolerant society. Um, but often people have very specific ideas about what specific people look like to them. And I mm. think because South Africa is so vast um, in the types of people that are here and their origins and all of that, um, we're constantly surprised when we know that some people are capable of other things. Um, So I think with language, I always try to play with it. I was an MC this year for the Pendwerings, which is is historically quite an Afrikaner type of award system, and they've really tried to change things around, you know, and include all kinds of languages and things and people. And so I think... um, we preach a lot of um, that we're all so diverse, but in actuality, we're quite um, narrow-minded in a lot of ways. <laughs> and so I think um, as an artist, I, I know that you, you said that I'm an activist and, and all of that. 
Um, but I always want to reply to that and say, who said that? Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like I'm someone who likes to just talk and say a lot of things. And um, and sometimes that makes people feel like, you know, that is what I perceive myself so, to be, which is an activist. That's such but I think a... I like to see it more as a challenging thing. Like, yeah. um, what is the ideas we hold about each other and about specific things, languages and societies and histories, you know, because a lot of people might assume I'm a specific type of person, but I grew up in a retreat. You know, my parents are very traditional kind of people from the Winelands um, who then moved to Cape Town. And so we all just have like these little pockets of interesting things and interesting places we come from. And so for me, language has always just been about playing with that. Or trying so, to figure so, that out. I have to say, Laura, you've raised such an interesting thing and you've totally like opened something up for me as well. Is mm. that, um, and, and I want to say thank you for that because that's amazing, is that the perception would be, okay, she is a feminist artist or an activist. But as you say, this is just something that is written and it was not written by you. It was written by someone else who might have written your biography or whatever the case may be. It's yeah. also my perception around saying, okay, well, she creates these artworks, therefore she is this and therefore she is that. And that mm. is, that's, that's a very interesting thing. It's like, why would you have to be named an activist in order yeah. to be active and engaged and an active citizen? And I think it's funny when men speak out about certain stuff, people don't necessarily call them activists. Like it doesn't become a part of their kind of run up. Not that I'm saying I'm not. I just think it's, to me, I've always I was born with a vengeful heart, so I, think, I love that. I think it gets confused sometimes, you know. Um, revenge, you know. I I perceive myself to be brown in in South Africa, so so-called coloured or bushman or whatever. And I think a lot of us have been born with a lot of vengefulness in our hearts, and I think that goes hand in hand with not knowing a lot about our history or about where we really come from. And all of that erasure was done very specifically and on purpose, I think, yeah. where where brown people in South Africa um, is concerned. Because maybe if we knew our real histories, um, our, our um, how can I say, to make some people black and to make some people brown was a very specific thing done by the previous government. And that's also just to divide and conquer. So yes. I think... Um, that divide between black and brown um, in South Africa would be much less um, if we knew our real origins. And so I think for me, it's always more about trying to find the truth and try to figure out really where we come from as brown people so that we can really understand our blackness um, in a new way that wasn't prescribed to us with a name that was given to us by white people, which is the word, the term colored. Um, So I think that's more what I'm... I think I'm just curious, you know. You definitely um, are. So I, I want yeah. to ask you, if you talk about being born with a kind of vengefulness, then one thinks immediately about um, the term. I mean, what well, first thing that comes to my mind is revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah. And you talk about um, doing things with purpose and thinking about it. And I wondered, yeah. is your artwork um, revenge is a dish best served cold? I've told people that um, I like to think about my art as those like flies that pollinate that that Fruit. specific flower that uh, that rots. Yes, I don't know if you know about exactly that what flower. I'm about, yeah. Because my my work seems very colourful and beautiful and 
and fun and and joyful, which I think it is in many ways. But often when you get drawn you get drawn into the work by the colours, and then when you get a bit close, you know, you realise it's about something ugly. Mm. And so I think you know I've said it before, but South Africans are like that. You kind of have to lure them um, with something sparkly, beautiful, fun. Um, and by the time they get too close, they can't. They don't have time to recoil yet, and then they realise it's actually about something ugly. And I think that's kind of life in South Africa. You know, it's so there's so many ugly things in it, and at the same time, there's so much beauty in it. And you kind of just have to figure out which one you want to see and when. Um, mm. And I think my work is kind of like that. It's very hard, fast, and now, and spontaneous, and big, and yeah. all-encompassing. But it can push you to a point where you feel very overwhelmed or or like you're part of it, you know. And so I think um, that's part of my trickery. It's always fun to package things up in what it's not. And then when you open it, you get a fright. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit um, like giving a whole new terminology to the fast and the furious, eh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's about family. <laughs> so, so, okay, so one of the things, you mentioned the Pendurings earlier, and, and I wanted to go back to that with you as an MC. I thought you were fabulous as an MC. But one of the things that I Thank found you. very interesting about it was, okay, the Pendurings is about language. We've spoken about that. Um, and it's about diverse languages, the, the, the 11 different languages we have in this country. But what yeah. I really liked about it was that there was a moment in it where you were captured creating an artwork. Yeah. And um, I, uh, my work is very, oh, sorry. No, go, you go can... for it. no, go for it. Now, I wanted to say my work, uh, when I work freehand, it has a very printer-like quality about yeah. it. But I trained for about a year to be a printer, and I love lino cut and all of that. And at night before we started shooting the Pendurings, um, I spoke to the owner of um, Brainstorm, which is Eben, and I said to him, yeah, I'm just sitting down, like making little mouths, because it was funny for the for the um, campaign, they wanted me to paint many mouths. Yeah. And I did, and I I don't think I can say it on radio, but they said that the mouths are doing something which is not speaking, if you catch my drift. Yes. And they were yeah. like, could you rather make more the mouths look more like they're speaking and not like they're doing that other thing? And it was super <laughs> funny because I kind of had to take pictures of myself. Because the only type of mouths I know is mouths with tongues out and, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was funny. And then the night before, I just cut all those lino cuts and it just came together quite organically, you know, me talking and printing the mouths. Um, and it's our strongest muscle in our bodies is like our jaws, right? We use it all the time. We're eating, we're chatting. Um, and I'm someone who just never stops speaking. Now that I'm a little bit older, I'm almost in my mid-30s. I finally started learning slightly how to listen. And so I think this is the first time I can like slow myself down, like how I'm speaking right now. <laughs> um, because I've listened back to myself on radio and then yeah. I always imagine hearing myself just like cutting it off on radio and how weird it sounds. So I think um, with the Pendurings, it was really fun. It was really cool to know that it's the last, um, awards that do these massive cash kind of winnings and that they take into consideration all of the languages um, in our constitution. You know, I always joke and say that the South African constitution is such a great book, you know, because like that's really what it is. It's a whole bunch of facts that we can refer back on, but we never really live it.
Um, and I think it's the same with saying there's 11 languages when mm. we all always go back to English. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was really your question, but wait, I think wait. I wanted to say my plan for 2022 <laughs> is to really conquer Afrikaans. You know, I've been oh, working on it for a long time. Um, when I moved to Joburg, Afrikaans felt so alien there that it wasn't really something I engaged in at all. But now I'm back on it, you know. I think I want to write myself a cameo into Sevendalan and go shake up some Afrikaner <laughs> beliefs for 2022. <laughs> and it started with being the MC of the Pendurin. So I, I want um, to just, I, I want to go back to that because what I, was, what, I was, what I was thinking about when I watched you creating the work there, was, yeah. It spoke to me again about this idea of the visual and the verbal, the visual and the verbal, yeah. how those two things play against each other or play off each other. I mean, we can yeah. we can use them in so many different ways. And that was, you know, something that I thought about when I looked at the, the art. And let me tell you that when I looked at the art, and I know that we've tweeted it uh, before here on the show, is... Yeah. It, it looks a lot more than just a mouth, I'll tell you what. So yeah. <laughs> let's not, um, we, we, won't even we don't even have to go there, but it's the visual and the verbal. How do you feel that those two things are yeah. powerful, important, and indeed something that we could think about even further when we go into schools, etc.? I grew up with a mother who was, she was such a peculiar woman if I think about it now. You know, She really encouraged us to be very competitive in art. She said it's the same like academics. You should be very competitive um, and they can be a winner. I think often people say that creativity is so objective that there is no winner. But I'm here to tell you that 100%, if there's a winner, it's me. Like I <laughs> see it as a competitive field as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and she was someone who just really, she would ban us from watching certain types of things on TV, but we were allowed to read Dunga Fanakant when we were nine, you know? Yeah. Or we'd be able to read all these very hectic um, uh, pieces of literature that had very specific types of things in it, which was definitely not in our age bracket. But I'm thankful for not necessarily having all these visual stimulants that, you know, could have messed me up. Rather, it was just my own... Uh, imagination in terms of like what I put with it and I think that's what amazing that's what amazing to me about literature and about reading and about languages is that at the end of the day it's a group project between you and someone else's work you know because it's how you see it in your own mind um so yeah I think also my favorite um art, one of my favorite art movements is the pre-raphaelite brotherhood which was a whole bunch of men that just took uh, certain pieces of writing and they each interpreted it in different ways, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, the decapitation of hollowness and all of yes. those kinds of things. It's paintings that I've seen 20 different artists do the same thing and they do it so different. They do it before she cut his head off. She does it, you know, during. She does it. So I think in terms of language um, and art and visual stimulants, there's a definite connection and the connection is there for you to make it. It's um, interesting that you talk about the decapitation. I never know. How do you say the the the, 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 the name? The decapitation of... I'm colored, so I just say orphanus. What am I saying? I can't tell you either. And, and it makes no difference. I just can't say it. But what's interesting, maybe one of our listeners can WhatsApp it to us as an audio and tell us how we say yeah. it. But I saw this incredible... Um, person tweeting and and they what they did was they just 
found 150 different images of that same image, the decapitation. Yeah, I can send you the link. I actually saw it yesterday. It was like it's, a thread on it's, Twitter. It was it's amazing. A phenomenal thread because it then goes on to like all sorts of various different conversations as well. So there's a complete yeah. thought for you. Send it to me. And we'll... what does it say about you as an artist um, in terms of what, which interpretation you choose? You know what I mean? Yes. Like, that's what's crazy to me um, about all of this. There's many different ways of seeing, like John Berger said. The whole world is a way of seeing. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it's just about the way of seeing that you choose. Whether it's a conversation about gender-based violence, where you stand on that, whether it's um, you know going to the beach and where you sit at the beach, there's all different types of ways of seeing. And so where you set yourself up or which angle you set yourself up at is on you and on your creativity. Lady Scully, we're <laughs> going to close off with your wonderful um, choice of song, second song, very different choice, Madonna and the Power of Goodbye. Why Thank you so much. Why are we saying goodbye? Um, because the first time I ever went to Johannesburg, which was in 1999 with my parents, this was the only CD that they remembered to pack. And so by the time <laughs> I drove from Cape Town to Joburg, I knew the whole CD, and I still do to this day. Even that Shanti Shanti song, I know. Because <laughs> there's only 12 songs on that CD. So imagine 16 hours of driving. Oh, it's, only so it's, it's an hour per <laughs> song. So in fact, uh, as we play the song, you can actually just sing along 110%. <laughs> sure. I don't think I'll ever be able to listen to that song again without thinking of like a mini Lady Scully in the back of a car driving from Cape Town to Joburg with that song on repeat. You would know every single word thereafter. Madonna and the power of goodbye. Wonderful interview. Lady Scully, she was born Laura Vinfogel and she is an artist. If you are in Gauteng, you can go and check out her exhibition. I think it's still on at the Everett Reed in Johannesburg. The artwork that we were talking about was an artwork by Caravaggio, who is the Italian artist in 1600s, uh, who um, painted the work called um, The Beheading of Holofernes. Uh, so he painted the work called The Beheading of Holofernes by Judith. And it is based on the story of the Bible from the book of Judith, where Judith goes into the tent of the Assyrian general, Holofernes. And I don't know how you say that name, so I'd be very happy if you can tell us. Uh, and she goes into the tent, and she, when he passes out, she decapitates him. So it's The Beheading of Holofernes uh, by Judith. And there is a link of incredible artworks that someone was tweeting recently, just different ones and different versions um, of that particular artwork that people have done over many, many years. And what their take is, um, you know, the one by Lucas Cranach the Elder, who was in 1530, is just demonstrates a woman with her sword holding up and holding the head, one much which is far, far more violent. We see her literally cutting off the head of Holofernes. It's a very powerful work. Indeed, but the original one, not the original, but the one that most of us know is the one that was done by the Italian Caravaggio. And you can find his work in Rome as we speak. If we ever get there, maybe one day we'll go and have a look at it. 9.41, you're with SFM 104 to 107. We're going to go to the South African History Online website and find more about that. Michelle Constant on SAFM. So... Omar Bacha is the founder of 
fabulous website called the South African History Online website, and it has been going for a good many years. It's the largest independent history education and research institute in the country. It was established in 2000, making it 21 years old, nearly 22. On the line is the founder, Omar Bacha. Omar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, uh, Michelle, and thanks for that uh, lovely song, uh, the music and the story of Karavaju. I didn't know that. Uh, actually, Sorry. I had forgotten it as well until um, Lady Scully gave us the deets on it. It was quite, quite something. So um, we're going to actually tweet out the link that is on uh, on Twitter of all the different decapitations that have been created with regards to that particular work. Omar, very briefly, tell us about how you founded the extraordinary South African History Online website. Well, you know, I, I, firstly, personally, I was always interested in stories and history. Um, and that uh, after 1994, uh, I like many others, um, began to think about how to write a new history, the new South Africa, how to address some of the biases in our history, and how to educate the new generation about the past so that we could start building reconciliation and a new democracy. So, yeah, I, I began engaging with, well, I was starting, I worked with a number of uh, veterans of the struggle who were also very much in, very involved in writing of history. And so, yeah, I, I started thinking about how does one put together information about our past so that we don't forget. And it was just, you know, at the time after the TRC and we learned so much about uh, our past some of us who lived through that period still didn't understand the import, the impact of it on our our lives. So that's how I started thinking about using the new technology to put across information for a number of different audiences, but most specifically for younger people. So, Omar... So, in the creation of this for younger people, who is using it? And does it have access for schools? What's Because I imagine that the marketing of SEHO is probably the most important thing right now. Yes, 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 yes absolutely. Well, who uses it is fascinating because we <laughs> have something like 6 million people a year using Whew. our website. But it's much more than that yeah. because people the news media, the radio stations, all use our site daily uh, as part of their programming. And uh, so it has a bigger footprint than just that, the people coming onto our site. Um, but our, you know, we, we've created, the, we, we sort of constructed the site, unlike Wikipedia, we constructed the site with the notion of bringing information to the general public, but specifically to younger people, to schools. So right from the beginning, we included what we call the history classroom on our site. Brilliant. Linking the material in the curriculum 
uh, to uh, more resources um, and, and archival material, um, and also to then popularize history, because we were concerned and still are concerned about the fact that very few people study history at schools, at the universities. The number of history departments uh, are, uh, of students attending you know, history lectures at universities shrinking. And, and, and we continuously propose, you know, uh, propagate the idea that, look, history is not just about facts, but history allows you to unpack information critically look at phenomena uh, I mean, uh, present or, you know, in the past. The present, as we know it, we are now studying this virus and how it yeah. is evolving. So we look, scientists are looking at its history of this and how it, the virus mutates. Now, you know, Omar, I mean, one of the things, you know, when we talk about an education, I think it was um, Albert Einstein who said that the value of the college education is not the learning of many facts, but it's the training of the mind to think. And I'm not absolutely uh, by, by reading that quote. I'm not making any suggestion that I think everybody has to go for a college education. But what I am uh, what I am suggesting is that lifelong learning is critical, and how we we take our information and learn from the information. I mean, we we hear about fake news and we hear about how people do things differently, but the website just offers so many different doors to open. I mean, they're basically rabbit holes, let's be frank. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's a work in progress because one begins to think about how to present information uh, in, with using this new technology, which allows you to re-look really at history and how it is research how it is uh, presented and that's fascinating but again it it comes down to if we want to begin engaging each other we need to understand what we're engaging about yes uh, and that becomes a greater problem now with social media because everyone's talking to each other and most of the time past each other because they haven't read enough or, yeah. or just gleaned information from here and there, and on that basis make an assumption. And um, and our newspapers, are, well, they're they're sort of dying off, and 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 we now uh, dependent on this new digital world to to provide us with information. So. You have to, you know, uh, map out a way of understanding all of this and then um, and trying to find uh, a way of uh, making it available, accessible. And I didn't yeah. yesterday or day before yesterday, one of my colleagues, young colleagues who works on social media, you know, he turned to me and said, look, Omar, what do you think is the most a searched item in in the last couple of months on our site, and I said Shaka Zulu. He said, uh -uh. "It's Kele, uh, you know, the actor." Um, yes. And yeah. you know, 
he had we had on social media not on our website we had on our social media uh, 80000 people who we visited that uh, that in that bit of information and and you know and then shared it so now we i'm learning that you know we, we have to pay a little bit more attention to that sort of popular figure yeah uh, and from there move people to understand the role of the artist and all of the other things about music and um the playwrights and and people like that so yeah you learn all the time you you begin to grapple with this and uh, and and it's a new you know Avenue. Let's let's look at let's clo- close off with uh, the critical question here, which is that um, under um, the last eighteen months, obviously, funding and funders have shifted their focus. They've shifted their focus to uh, unemployment. They've shifted their focus to COVID and health. Um, many other spaces. They may look like they may look like they are. Um, uh maybe shifting away from history but it may be concerns of the immediate and of the present so my question to you is it is under threat the website southafricanhistory.org.za and i would first of all suggest anybody who's listening why don't you just go and have a look at the website just go and see what we're talking about essayhistory.org.za and uh learn a little bit about it But secondly I suppose for you Omar the call is out. How can people support you? Maybe they can't like support you with huge chunks of money, but uh, there are individual citizens who may want to be active in their citizenry and say well listen I'll put 50 rand into your account every month from now until eternity because I believe in independent history education and research. How can they do it? Well, by contributing and also uh giving us uh, you know introduction to their companies those heads of companies so that we can begin to engage with them uh, and so uh, and you know generally networking but uh, yeah so that's one strategy of getting people if everyone give us 10 rands a month we would be rich we would be able to do lots of things yeah but it's the question of getting to the people being able to convince them that there is you know value in supporting a project which is not just history on its own but it is tied to education and reconciliation understanding each other understanding what makes us human what makes us south africans or you know africans and so yeah people should be we understand that history is not just about facts it it's about who we are as a people um and we we struggle with that you know yesterday was uh, the 1st of december where slavery was was abolished yeah but and and you know people forget that it was here in the cape that people began to put across and 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 popularize december 1st but it doesn't exist on our national calendar let's um, leave it at that omar batch yeah. the founder of south african history online the website is www.sahistory.org 
za. I would definitely go and have a look on it. And as he says, you know, if whew, if just a bunch of people said, okay, fine, I'm going to put my money, just a small amount of money into this every month. It is about independent history. It is about looking at knowledge which is accessible to people all over the country. You can go on, you can learn from it, and you can do something differently. We're going to close off with my choice of song. I want to say, uh, Oma Bacha, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We look forward to seeing the site grow in strength. We're closing off with my favorite song. I know I play it a lot, but I love it. Here we go. Naiko makasite Navandi kakangai mwana mawa Seko banza kayo butu moi Zongako Asalaboni Nasuka wapi Tell you what, it's the real deal when your producer can tell you what your favorite, favorite song is. That's for sure. <laughs> not, so, not so sure why it ended so suddenly, but nevertheless, that of course is the Cowboy Junkies and their version of the Dolly Parton song, Jolene. What a great song. Talking of great songs at 10 o'clock onwards, the lovely KG is up next with Seasons. She'll be through with you all the way through to one o'clock today playing you the finest music and the music that's going to keep your Saturday making sense. Thanks so much to the team. It's been an absolute blast. We've had Sly on the decks, Mdu and Indosh on production, making it all happen as they do every week. Now that's it. I'm out of here. I'm taking a month's break. So I'm not leaving forever. I'm just taking a month's break. The team will take absolute great care of you. I have no doubt. And I want to wish you all a very kind Christmas um, and a kind season. Maybe you aren't celebrating Christmas. Maybe you celebrate other things. But may the season be kind. May it be gentle. May you be kind and may you be gentle to your friends and your family as well. And I suppose the thing we have to say to you is mask up. Do it. Mask up. And get vaccinated. Don't take a pause. Get vaccinated. Mask up. And I look forward to catching up with you in the brand new year, 2022. Here we come. At which point, I suppose, the best thing for me to say is... Tosteros, mes amigos, hasta la vista. See you next year. And... Poof, drops the mic. Independent and impartial. 